Almighty God, you are holy and great and mighty, and yet you care deeply about each and every one of us we are unable to fathom. The privilege of your attention, much less your sacrifice. Father, we ask for that attention this morning. We ask that you would come and fulfill your promise to be here, that you would speak into the hearts of those who have come to hear from your living word. Lord, in spite of the weakness of your servant, Lord, may your word penetrate and, and inspire and transform each of us. And may the seed that is planted grow into fruit and glory for you. Lord, you know those who are unable to be here and a number of people who are dealing with old age, sickness, and um, Father, we pray that you would be able to meet their needs through closed doors, that they also would feel your presence and encouragement and strengthening. Lord, we place our deep needs at your feet. You know each one, and we ask for, we, we submit ourselves, we yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, last time uh, we went through uh, the second half of Ephesians chapter 4, it was two weeks ago, I'd like to continue now with the first half of Ephesians 5. Turn with me to the epistle of Paul to the, to the Ephesus, the fifth chapter, beginning to read at verse 1. reads, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself as an offering and a sacrificing to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship 
with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read to the uh, verse 20. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. Heavenly Father, thou which art in heaven, and yet here we read how we are being challenged to be your children here on earth, where things are not perfect, where people are not perfect, where we are surrounded by darkness, and yet thou dost challenge us to be light. Father, we cannot do these things in our own strength, but by your Spirit. By, by your power in us and through us, can we reprove the works of darkness? Can we walk in the light? Can we be a contrast to this evil world without being absorbed by it? Father, we pray for your spirit to work in us this morning. Lord, we, we need your transforming power. We need to be more than challenged by words, but changed by your Spirit. Father, we pray for those who are also um, dealing with very difficult circumstances, those who are isolated, those who are struggling. Father, we pray that we as a body could come together and help bear each other's burdens that none would feel that they are alone, that we could both share our concerns and help share, carry those burdens. And Father, this morning we want to cast those cares upon you because you care for us and we trust in your love and in your presence and in your power. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The last time we finished with the verse, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Quite a challenge, quite a, uh, a mission for, for those who are 
followers of God. And that's where we read in the very next verse that therefore, be ye therefore followers. That's what it looks like to follow God. It looks like a tenderheartedness, a forgiving attitude, a recognition of how much we have been forgiven in that we are willing to also be kind in understanding to others. And in that way, we become not only followers of God, but his dear children. And we read as we follow along here in verse 2 that this is, this is a how love is put into action. We're to walk in love. We're supposed to, in a daily um, cadence, to act out what it is to be a child of God by having this attitude of love. And we have good reason to because we have been first loved. Loved in a degree, he says, that we see Christ who not only loved us but demonstrated that love or given the standard of giving himself as an offering and a sacrifice, something that brought great pleasure to God to see that level of obedience and love poured out. If you, do you want to bring pleasure to God? Do you want to make him smile? Do you want to bring something to him that would be uh, an aroma of something? You, you, you know when you walk into a place and, and the smell just reminds you of, of good and beautiful things. Probably will come up to, to Christmas and you know the certain smells of certain baking that happens at that time just brings you back. But God, God also wants to be reminded of our love, of our appreciation, of our worship, not by just the words we say, but by our willingness to actually sacrificially love each other. That's the positive injunction. And now he goes to the negative. We talked last time about the put off and put on. So here's, here's what we need to put off. <clears throat> and He's going to get, he's going to say these three things are so serious. In verse 5, he says, this actually will exclude you from heaven. These things, you will not be able to have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God if you commit these things. So I think we need to take it seriously. This is not light. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Uh, there's an attitude in Christianity that, you know, we are just saved sinners. That we recognize that, you know, we are weak and we sin and therefore thank the Lord. He's, our destiny is heaven but our lifestyle is not necessarily that different. That's not the expectation we read here in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, don't even let it be named. It shouldn't even come up. It should never be associated with those who are saints. Not saints in the stained glass, but we know the scripture refers to any believer in Christ as a saint. And there's an expectation that th certain things 
aren't even named among us. Fornication, uncleanness. These are talking about sexual immorality, about sex outside of the parameters that God has defined for it. God has a beautiful place for that. It is part of his design to to bond together and the rest of the chapter, which we didn't read, are going to talk about the beauty of marriage and how that is a picture of Christ in the church and that that kind of love um, which we see, you know, in the Godhead for eternity past can now be represented here on earth in some reflection. And this, this becoming one is just like God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. It's a beautiful thing. But when it is taken out of that commitment, that union, that becoming one, and is used um, as just something to, for my, our personal pleasure, then this is breaking God's design. It's polluting and dirtying something that is holy and pure and is a, you know, we think that, okay, you know, it's, it's blasphemous, you know, maybe to, uh, you know, we think, you know, someone comes, this pulpit is, is a place where God's word is, is preached. And, you know, if, we, if someone were to come here and, and, you know, spout some kind of evil things from here, it would be polluting the place where we expect to hear God's word. We think this is a, a holier place and it should be given respect as the sanctuary of God. <clears throat> We, we have the idea of things, certain things being sacrilegious, blasphemous, that it's offensive to God that we take something that's supposed to be his and we misuse it and abuse it and, and, and uh, that, that this makes God angry when things are, we read in the Old Testament how, how angry he got when certain things were done. And here we're saying this image is something that, that God... It's, it's God's identity. The love that he has had between the Father and the Son, it's who he is. And when we take what is his identity of love and we put it through the mud and all kinds of twisted imaginations, we can kind of read in Genesis 6 where, where you know, man's imaginations get darkened and he abuses things that God intended for good and we can know we know who's kind of the one behind not kind of who is behind that who is inspiring these imagination who wants the image of God to be dragged through the mud is Satan himself now you and I are surrounded by a dark world where sexuality is something that is 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 so distorted and is so pervasive, unfortunately, our preschoolers are already being, you know, inundated with messaging about this. Innocence is very, very rare. And, uh, and things have gone from, you know, taking something outside of marriage to twisting into all kinds of evil imaginations. 
And now, thanks to, or not thanks to, technology, these things can be done at any time without accountability. Um, you know, streaming makes it all possible. You don't have to go to, you know, furtively avoid the eyes of people as you go to certain places where the bad things are available now. You can just be on your phone in your privacy. And Satan is making something that is so blasphemous, so pervasive. And there's a danger that we become desensitized. And uh, as, as the envelope is constantly pushed in, in entertainment, things that, you know, would have been whatever, you know, R-rated in the past is PG today because uh, we just got to push the envelope. And uh, our minds become desensitized. We allow ourselves to be exposed to things because it's just the water our culture surrounds us with. But that is not how God sees it. And this morning, as we read God's word, we need to resensitize ourselves to how does God see all this messaging, these things that, you know, we say, oh, don't be naive, or, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just aware, I'm just, no. We, we, we don't want it to, to even be named. We don't want these thoughts going through our heads. So it used to be, uh, I, I was watching a, a YouTube of someone who was talking about spiritual disciplines. And, you know, he was saying how, oh, you know, he's got a fast from, from billboards, right? Because he walks past, he's got to, you know, not look at the billboard, right? Because of the messaging and the images, and he doesn't want that polluting his mind. Well, that was the struggle in the 70s, right? We got more than billboards to deal with now, don't we? <clears throat> there are just so many ways that Satan has to get the images and the ideas and the insinuations in our heads, right? We need to take it seriously and not with the casualness. Now, okay, you know, maybe you say, okay, I understand you know, this was something that maybe a generation ago there was a lot of sensitivity about, but the next one, fornication, this is the act, you know, uh, uncleanness, porneia is the Greek word, you know, sounds like porn because that's where the word came from. Um, all uncleanness, dirty things. And then the next one, covetousness, how does that fit? And why is that in this list that verse 5 says excludes us from eternity with God? What? Covetousness. What does covetous mean? You know, it means to want what is not yours. This inordinate desire for things that don't belong to you. It's actually in the Ten Commandments. Commandment number 10 there. Um, and it's not only wanting... A relationship with someone you shouldn't have, your neighbor's wife, your manservant, maidservant, but your neighbor's things, the want of things. And again, you know, 
that's something that we have become desensitized to generations ago. If filthy images, the world is awash with that well, greed for things or desire for things, that was something we've been awash with for a much longer, been desensitized much longer. So that, you know, it's the engine that our economy depends on. If you don't want things, you're not gonna buy them. And so we've got a, the, the advertisement, the desire, the comparing, the thinking that we need to improve, we need to keep up, we need to, that is like so, you know, 2021, you've got to upgrade, everything's planned, obsolescence planned to, to manipulate you into a constant state of feeling like you're not enough, you don't have enough. You shouldn't be happy until. In, in verse five, there's a bit more of a clue, right? It says, it says, for this we know that no whoremonger, so this is, you know, we're going back to the fornication, someone who's acting this out, nor unclean person, now we're talking about nouns of the previous verb, nor covetous man, and he qualifies it. Covetous man who is an idolater. Someone who thinks that something, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an experience, or whether it's a thing, that this is going to be their supply. This is going to be their source. This is going to supplant God. This, I need this more than I need God. And that is the real why it's so dangerous spiritually. So in the category that any covetous man who is an adulterer will not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, we need to totally resensitize ourselves to what this means in our life. What... <clears throat> And, okay, let's, let's get back to that in a minute. Verse 4, in between. So we've got these very serious in the eyes of God's sins that exclude us from God's presence forever. And then we've got some things that get us into that state. Verse 4, different category, different level of behavior and sin but it's a progression, it's a gateway. It's a gateway drug, if you will, to get us into a state where we will be excluded from God's presence. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. <clears throat> so filthiness, this is again the same idea of you know, letting our thoughts dwell. Not, maybe you're not acting on it, but what are you fantasizing? What are you thinking about? Nor foolish talking. <clears throat> what is foolish talking? Last time we, in at chapter 4, 
we taught, we studied about how our communication really matters. The words matter. And that God's vision is that we're a body, that each part, one of us is a, a member of this body, is uniquely gifted, is required, is necessary for the functioning whole, and it is through communication that we connect with each other. And how the, that communication can be healthy or unhealthy. And so it matters. And here we have foolish talking as part of that communication. So what are we talking about? Now, we, last chapter, you know, hatred, uh, anger. Um, these were really obviously wrong and negative and destructive and damaging to the connection between us. Where does foolish talking fit in there? What do we talk about that's foolish? And how is that a gateway to these other sins? Well, we can imagine, <clears throat> you know, if you've been around, uh, you know, any of the blue-collar jobs, you'll know the kind of jokes that are being made there. And, you know, the, and you don't have to be in a, just a blue-collar. There's lots of environments where, you know, jokes are made about fornication and things like that, that, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of innuendo that's kind of funny, or at least, you know, it's intended to be funny. And if you laugh at it, you desensitize, you normalize, and it's no longer such a big deal. And that's how it's a gateway, right? I remember Doug and I um, took, I don't know, a Thursday night's programming of TV way back when we were talking about learn to discern and applying that to entertainment. And as we you know, we took broad categories, you know, or, or all of them, and you know, there's, you know, each one, you know, had their unique angle where Satan was trying to do something. Now, I think today, your ed, entertainment is like, it's, it's really in your face, the indoctrination that's happening. But then maybe it was a little subtler, but, you know, clearly, you know, we're just being funny about, you know, being in situations with innuendo. We won't show anything. It's got a G rating, but you laugh because of the, the tension and the jokes and the, and the things that are, you know, whatever, it's, if it's Seinfeld or Frasier or whatever it was that was kind of normalizing this kind of unattached, uncommitted, you know, um, lighthearted thinking about something God intended to be precious and beautiful and a reflection of himself. And you just got a different worldview. And, you know, it's funny. It's okay. It's, you know, nothing bad is being shown. But what's the effect? How is that a gateway drug? How is that a gateway to deeper involvement? Right? How does foolish talking and jesting, which is the joking part of it, right? How does that get you into a covetous frame of mind? Hmm. 
can your conversation with other people make them feel like they're missing out? Give them some FOMO about, you know, experiences and stuff that we have or want to have or would love to have or wouldn't be nice if... Can, can, does our communication create aspiration, create goals, create... You know, what, what are our shared desires? What do we all share and aspire to have one day? Is it a nice home, a nice clothes, a nice car? You know, is that what we talk about? Because that's probably what you're going to talk about with <clears throat> friends from work and school because that's the shared aspirations of your society, <clears throat> which lead to debt slavery as a consequence of covetousness. But what should be our shared aspirations? What should we feel comfortable sharing and encouraging and uh, egging each other on to aspire to? Not necessarily a better, you know, physical lifestyle, but a spiritual one. Is that what we talk about? If not, is our talking foolish? As we encourage each other to invest more time and energy pursuing things that are all going to burn, and we all know it, and are going to distract us, if not, get us into an idolatrous frame of mind and get in the way of our relationship with God. Maybe even exclude us. So these things, are says, are not convenient. Does that mean like, oh, like uh, it's an inconvenience? Or is this King James for saying that these things don't build us up? They don't tend towards life. We read in Corinthians that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not convenient. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not edifying. Everything... It's, it's not that I'm not, you know, watching this TV show because the church says I shouldn't. But I'm not going to expose myself to this entertainment because it's not going to strengthen me. It's going to weaken me. It's not going to build me up. It's going to tear me down. It's not something that I can share and inspire you with. It's something if I share with you, it's going to make you weaker. It's not edifying. And then in verse 4, he says, but. And he gives an alternative that is edifying and constructive and strengthening to our personal and shared spiritual life. So rather than focusing on the stuff we don't have and wouldn't it be nice if or nudge, nudge, wink, wink, we should rather give thanks. Do we talk about that? Is that part of our shared 
ethos and communication and common things like, thank the Lord. He answered my prayer. He, you know, this happened. Thankful for what he has done, for what he's promised to do, for his presence, for his... I'm thankful that you know, on our Thursday night prayer meetings, we have a category. We, you know, we talk about ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Our adoration still tends to be weak, our confession weaker still. Thanksgiving is growing as we need to change our mindset instead of God help me to thank you, God. And we need to do that more in our daily conversation because we're talking about how do we connect? How do you and I relate to each other? How can we help each other become this body that is built into to the stature of Jesus Christ that can do the things that Jesus did together when we express thanks to each other as opposed to kind of like this whole FOMO and covetousness. It's kind of like the opposite of thanks. It's this whole like, I'm not happy because I don't have. Instead, we say, I'm grateful because God has given. Right? You see how it's kind of the opposite? Instead of focusing on, on the lack, we focus on the fillness. Instead of focusing on, on, on this negative, needy, we become overflowing. Our cup is overflowing. We read, you know, David's attitude, right? You know, surely goodness and, you know, my cup overflows, right? This image of I am the recipient of undeserved goodness and thankful uh, 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 blessings from God. And I have more than I deserve. I have more than I need, which is true. It's true if we think about it, right? And if we share that image with each other, what are we going to walk out of here or away from our conversation, which should be more than just here at church? We will come out encouraged, strengthened, joyful. The fruits of the Spirit will be strengthened in us. And so this is important. This isn't just window dressing. This isn't, you know, be nice, say thank you. Be a good boy or girl, you know, be polite, avoid wrong words. No, this is a complete change in attitude of what we're focused on collectively. <clears throat> Let no man deceive you with vain words. No, no man can come, oh, you know, that's just normal. You know, this is what everybody does. It's no big deal. Don't be deceived into normalizing or, you know, there's a reason why Christianity is struggling in North America. There's a reason why it's on the decline. And a lot has to do with what we have accepted and normalized as a weakened level of Christianity. Well, you know, somebody else. This is what is common. Don't be deceived. Because of these things, oh, this is harsh, but it's the Bible. We need to take the Bible face value. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God 
upon the children of disobedience. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. That's how God sees it. It makes him angry. It makes him desire to, 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 to destroy the things that are offensive. And if you see the stuff that's going on in this world, there is a lot of things that would make God very angry. And we dare not laugh or normalize or accept it as, what can you do? No, we need to have the attitude of God. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. We recognize there is a corrupt culture. You need to be different. You cannot just simply take that stuff in and think, I'm okay, it's not a big deal. You need to be separate and come out from among them and be my people. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children life. Act in a daily cadence, not just in words, not just one hour a week. But may your life demonstrate that you have gone from darkness to light. And that was darkness. You understand it because you were there. But now you are living and walking differently. <clears throat> and you can't compromise between light and darkness. You can't just mix the two. The fruit of the Spirit, notice the tie now. This is clearly a parallel passage with the other chapter 5, Galatians, the previous book to this one. Galatians 5 is talking about the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh, very similar pattern of not only anger but filthiness and, and covetousness. Whereas the fruit of the Spirit, and this is the parallel to Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is walking in the line. This is where you've got the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, where you have truth. You're committed. You're not slippery. And in, it's going on from not only the avoiding of the negative things of being stained and uh, with the things of the world, but, it, but proving, it's not mathematical proof here, this is like you're testing, you're living it out, you're experiencing it, proving what is acceptable to, to the Lord, unto the Lord. You're actually living out and you're testing what does it look like to live a life that God wants, that God accepts, that God, God desires for you. Again, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, so here's, here's one level is to say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to associate with it. I'm not even going to let people, I mean, I, I remember doing this when I was, you know, an unconverted, uh, you know, uh, working at the, you know, I... I gave the impression that, oh, I'm just like you. I, don't, I didn't actually do those things, but I made it look like I'm okay with that. God says, no, you're not going to even give the appearance. You're going to have no fellowship with them. In fact, he goes one up. 
on that. He says, reprove them. Reprove, you're actually going to take a stand. You're going to say, you know, that is really wrong, that that's offensive to God, that's destructive to people, that hurts. I can't just give you lip service so that I avoid your doxing and your negative reaction. God is calling us to have the courage to be a John the Baptist and say, no, that's wrong to have your, your, uh, <clears throat> your, uh, the wife of your brother. You, that takes courage. You're really taking a break with culture when you're willing to take a stand because you're going to get a reaction. People aren't going to like that. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. It's not only that <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Stop doing fornication and cleanness. Don't even talk about it. Don't even let it come out of your mouth. Don't let it go into your eyes. Don't let it go into your ears. It's a shame. These things are shameful. And they should not be toyed with, should not be desensitized. And I, I can see in my own self how, how I need to be much more careful, how I have thought that it's just the water we're swimming in. But that's not God's line. God's line is no. This is offensive to God. I can't just let a little bit in to the stuff I consume, because what, what are you going to do? It's all, everywhere. No. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, and whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Are you light? You're supposed to be the light of the world. Do you make manifest, do you make plain what's wrong with things around you? Or is that dangerous? Last uh, two weeks ago, Brother Doug talked about blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, oh, but we don't go through that. Maybe there's a reason we don't go through that. Maybe we're not light. The light that makes plain what is wrong. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. People are in a trance. They are walking off the cliff. We need to wake them up before they go irreversible destruction. There's an urgency here. See then that you walk circumspectly. You're aware. You see the dangers. You're not being fooled. You're, you can discern and you can be wise and you redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem. You make the best use of the time you're given because it's limited and there is an objective. You see, we're not just passing the time. We're not just, okay, I'm baptized I need to hang in there till Jesus comes or till I die and hold on to what I have. No, 
God has a purpose that you're supposed to be proving and living out, and you need to actually make those minutes count. Make the time matter. Redeem it. Give it value. Infuse it with the purpose. And remember, you and I have a shared purpose, that we should be talking and encouraging and sharpening iron on achieving, not just kind of feeling comfortable as we get away with stuff that, you know, is not as bad as other things in the culture. And as we bide our time, we need to redeem the time. We need to get busy for the kingdom. Be, beware for be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This, this requires us to know what God wants. For us to just kind of drift is foolish, easily sucked in. For us to be wise is to know what God wants. And we need to be focused on that. I've got a dog. And that dog is constantly looking at me. If I get up, he jumps to his feet. He wants to be where I am. And maybe I'm going to do something interesting like go outside. So he's jumping up and he's looking. And if I'm walking... He's trying to figure out where I'm going. He's trying to be three steps ahead. But he's focused on what I want. It's like Psalm 32 tells us. You know, that, that be guided by the eye. Find pleasure in bringing pleasure to God. What is your master want? Are you focused on that? Are you anticipating it? Maybe you'll make mistakes. Sometimes it goes down the wrong path. But, but he's trying and he'll course correct as soon as I take a step the other way. He's in tune. He's in, he really wants to know. Even though he can't read my mind, and I don't always tell him, he wants to be a few steps ahead on the where I want to go. Do I have that attitude about discerning the will of God? Oh, who can know? Well, am I focused on it? Is this what my passion is? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Worship. Worship together. Use it to, those words matter. Listen to them. Let them speak to your heart. Use them to encourage one another. And do it, even when we're not together, that that, those songs, those songs of worship are like rails, which is why a good and deep spiritual hymn matters. There's such depth to it. And I remember Bob Freund talking about it. I don't know, it was his grandmother who, who sang all day long as she did her housework. And, you know, is that me? Am, am I allowing God's sung words to, to give me that joy and that perspective during the week, and not just for the few minutes on Sunday. Because this is important. We don't want to be drunk with wine, with excess, with just indulgence, but rather to be filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to overflow. And we want to give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when do you think we're going to apply this lesson? Here's my challenge. We're going to finish this sermon. You're going to be able to turn to your neighbor. What are you going to talk about? Let's apply the lessons that we've learned this morning. With that, we conclude this morning's service.